Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. With betting shops opening before schools, we're asking whether politics has stood in the way of children's return to the classroom. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. The sound of children getting back to school, not in England, of course, but in Denmark, a move closely watched by the education secretary who in mid-May held the country up as proof that children and teachers can return to the classroom safely. But that was when the government was working towards a conditional and phased return from June the 1st. Primary pupils in England in reception year one and year six did return to school last week. But on Tuesday, plans for all children of primary age to return for a month before the summer break were dropped by Gavin Williamson. We are not able to welcome all primary children back for a full month before the summer. We continue to work with the sector on the next steps, where we'd like to see schools who have the capacity to bring back more children in those smaller class sizes. On Wednesday, Boris Johnson underlined his intention to have all children back at school in September. But it's left England in a situation where betting shops and theme parks will be open before schools. And joining me to discuss whether the government is indeed following the science when making these decisions is The Telegraph's associate editor, Camilla Tomini. Camilla, is the problem here that the government values the economy over children's education? I think there are some people who think that the government does value economy over children's education because it does seem a bit preposterous to have betting shops, theme parks and zoos open before schools. The counter argument to that, of course, is that the economy can't get back moving until parents are free to work because they're not having to worry about childcare day in, day out. Um, So that's the dilemma. But there is a sense, and I think Children's Commissioner Anne Longfield touched on this, that it does seem to be that children are way down the government's priority list. The kind of scale of intervention we've seen around health and around the economy and around jobs, actually, if that level of determination was actually transferred to schools now, we could see a national programme and a national effort that could help schools do this. On the point of the economy, you even have some economists saying that the direct and indirect effect of keeping schools shut is doing the economy further damage. I was reading Samuel Toombs, he's chief economist at Pantheon Economics, saying that we wouldn't see a V-shaped recovery, so a, a sharp upturn in recovery until the schools are open. 
The Chancellor Rishi Sunak telling Sky News that children not going to school is a tragedy that will have an impact on their futures. So if the government can see the damage, why aren't they opening schools? You'd think they were relying on the science, Camilla, but you don't think they are. The science behind not sending them back to school is that uh, the R rate isn't low enough and that there's a risk to teachers, as far as the unions and teachers themselves are concerned, should children be in close contact and then spread the infection. But the actual evidence, which has been gleaned from studies in Australia, in European countries, is that children don't spread it as much as adults. There's been a number of different studies since schools have gone back. And I know there were concerns. The um, British Medical Association, in its support of the National Education Union, was talking about um, 70 cases in northern France after 1.4 million school children went back. Well, the foreign minister there said that those cases had nothing to do with their school attendance. They were contracted outside. And in fact, last month, there was a convention of all foreign ministers in the 22 EU countries that have sent children back. There's been no spike. So I think there are a lot of people somewhat baffled as to why, if the government keeps on saying they're following the science, and the science suggests that there is no greater risk to children or teachers. We even had a front page story this morning saying children were more likely to be struck by lightning than they were to catch or spread coronavirus. Why is the government choosing not to follow the science on this particular issue? From school's perspective, they're saying that because of the scientific restrictions in place, two metre distancing, bubble groups. There are some schools that simply can't admit more children under that um, those guidelines because they don't have enough classrooms, they don't have enough space. That then begs the question, and we've seen this in other countries like Denmark, who were one of the first to get children back. They've been using civic spaces, they've been using empty town halls, even cinemas and theatres in order to make sure that all primary children can return. Yeah, of course, some schools are always going to be better suited to implementing social distancing than others, either because of smaller class sizes or even just bigger classrooms. But even Tory MP Robert Halfen, he's chair of the Commons Education Select Committee. He's been vocal about the fact that if some schools can't reopen, that doesn't mean that all schools shouldn't reopen. And actually, he's spoken a lot about a problem that we haven't even touched on yet, a big problem, which is the widening of the attainment gap while schools are shut. We need to do everything we can to be safe, but there could be an epidemic of educational poverty, a growing digital divide and a safeguarding crisis with vulnerable children being affected by mental health. The attainment gap argument is a good one because economically, if you do have a whole generation of children who have fallen behind, then we're going to have to pay the economic price for that in the future anyway. And I think as well, The government had counted on more children remaining in school throughout the outbreak. They thought that 20% of children who might be vulnerable or the children of key workers would stay in school. In fact, there's only been 2% attendance. Um, That's hugely problematic because it means even more children than the government had expected are staying at home. Um, A recent survey by YouGov found that parents were struggling with homeschooling now, that we're into week eight or nine, um, that they were feeling that they were losing motivation, not just for themselves, but for the children. So when Robert Halfron talks about children falling behind, this isn't a sort of trade union type of hysteria. This is a genuine concern, particularly that vulnerable children, I think there's a statistic to the say that 70% of vulnerable children have possibly done no work whatsoever. Clearly, that has an enormously damaging impact on those children's futures. But Camilla, is the problem not that children can't teach themselves? I mean, teachers need to go into and you have teachers unions vocally opposing the return of schools. 
Well, you have teachers unions being vocal in their opposition. Um, I think Mary Bowsted of the National Education Union did admit um, that that was a negotiating position to start with, to try and make sure that there were conditions in place for teachers to be safe. But that seems to have morphed into this idea that really this is too complicated an issue to deal with before the summer holidays. There's also some politics involved here. When Boris Johnson suggested that all primary school children should be able to get back for a month before schools break up at the end of July, there was a suggestion that he was trying to do that to try and win the confidence of parents who have been quite reticent about sending school children back. Um, But he's been criticised for not really thinking that through. It was almost as if they announced it before they were ready to answer the questions about it. And that's why we saw that extraordinary U-turn from Gavin Williamson um, in the House on Tuesday. Three weeks ago, he had said that that was the expectation. And then the rhetoric around his statement was that perhaps schools weren't going to be able to get back to normal even in September. To be honest, it feels like that's something we've seen with the government again and again over this crisis, that they feel kind of damned if they do set out a timetable and then don't stick with it and then damned if they stay silent and don't show us a way out of the lockdown. It kind of mirrors what we've seen with testing and track and trace. Plenty of other comparable countries are getting their children back to school. Wales is an example. Across Europe, there are other examples. We're the outlier on this. And it's no good, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister flailing around trying to blame others. As a way out of this, Sir Keir Starmer's renewed calls for a national task force to help get children back to school. Boris Johnson's encouraged Keir Starmer to get the teaching unions on board himself. Could they work together? Well, what Boris Johnson's trying to do here is to say to Sir Keir Starmer, who admitted on Chopper's podcast that he had been sending his children into school throughout lockdown because his wife worked for the NHS, well, if you're happy for your child to be in school and for schools to be reopening, why aren't you already doing more to persuade the unions? Boris Johnson's argument today in Prime Minister's questions was, hang on a minute, you can't have your cake and eat it, Starmer. You can't, on one hand, have Labour MPs supporting Labour-run councils, which are saying we won't send children back because of concerns about safety, and in the same breath, then criticise the government for climbing down on its plan to return all primary school pupils. Also, of course, the government really doesn't want any notion of national unity. It doesn't want to look as if Labour has has jumped to the rescue here. And equally, that's the criticism from Tories of Gavin Williamson, that he has caved into the unions. Um, I quoted an anonymous Tory today saying that he was behaving like Ted Heath. But of course, if you speak to sources close to the education secretary, he'll say that he hasn't really needed Labour because they've been sitting down and talking to the unions throughout. And in a way, this capitulation suggests that Williamson doesn't really need any help from Keir Starmer to do what the unions want him to do. Mm. Camilla, have we come to the conclusion that what's a matter or should be a matter of public safety and child welfare has become political? All of this has become political because Mm. at the end of the day, although you're following the science, when to lift lockdown, how to lift it and in which sectors, it's a political decision to say to pubs with beard gardens, okay, you can open on Monday because it's in a bid to try and restore faith in the economy and in people going back to leisure time as well as work. And it's the same with schools. It's just baffling, though, that they've decided to make this so low down the list of priorities. On one hand, you do have, I think, about a 50-50 split between people being comfortable with their children going back before the summer holidays and 
them staying at home until September. That was last month. I would imagine now that we've had weeks and weeks of homeschooling, that number is gradually rising. And it would have shown huge confidence in the government's response to say that schools could go back more fulsomely. What's happened with this climb down is it has made parents think, oh, hang on, what's gone wrong here? Are the government not in charge of this? Are children not safe? So we're almost back to square one, which means they've undone a lot of the good work around the behavioural psychology of lifting lockdown, that switch from stay at home to stay alert. What better sign to send than sending children to school that we are getting back to a new normal? Camilla, you're a parent yourself. Who's more desperate for them to go back, you or them? Well, this is the other thing. We've had teachers unions talking a lot about the psychological damage of children going into schools with bubble groups and strict social distancing. I would suggest that some children are suffering psychological damage at the hands of parents like me who aren't qualified teachers. Um, I'm trying my best um, educating. I've got one child at school because she's year six, but I've got a year five and a year two child at home. But of course, I'd love them to go back because I think the most damaging thing, apart from not necessarily being on top of English and maths and everything else that they're taught, is the lack of companionship. The rest of the coronavirus latest news. Boris Johnson's announced that from this weekend, single adult households can form a bubble with one other household, allowing them to stay in each other's homes and within two metres. People who are shielding are exempt from the plans. The Prime Minister also announced that places of worship can open for individual prayer from this weekend. One of the government's former key advisers has told MPs coronavirus deaths could have been reduced by at least half if the UK had gone into lockdown a week earlier. Professor Neil Ferguson from London's Imperial College said he thought the right decisions were taken by ministers, but questioned whether they were taken at the right time. Britain will suffer a more devastating economic blow from COVID-19 than any other leading nation, with output expected to slump by 11.5%. New analysis from the Office for Economic Cooperation and Development puts the estimated hit to growth at almost twice as sharp as the 6% decline forecast globally. Austria is to end quarantine requirements for more than 20 European countries from Tuesday, but that list doesn't include the UK. To read more about any of these stories, check the links in the show notes. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis, and I'll have your next show on Friday evening. If there's a question you'd like us to answer on the show, record it in a voice memo on your mobile phone and send it in an email. The address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with all of our school's coverage and everything else besides for free for 30 days. You'll find our listener offer at telegraph.co.uk slash audio. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.